Father, it's a privilege and an honor to come to you today in prayer and to know that you invite us to come to you in prayer. We don't have to overcome your reluctance. We don't have to wait for you to raise the scepter like Esther did. You welcome us into your presence because of your son's death, burial, and resurrection for us. And we praise you for that, Lord. And it's an honor not only to talk to you, but to pray, Lord. And as we pray for people, as we think about people, we think about those in our church fellowship who are grieving. Things just don't go away because of a funeral or a burial or a month or a year even. It lingers. And I pray for the people who are hurting. I pray for people who are lonely and uh, they just don't have any close friends. And I pray you would provide them. But remind them in the meantime, you're the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I pray for people who have needs today, that they need a job or they need a raise or they need uh, certain things in their life or friendship or people or even those who are looking for a mate. I pray you would guide them and assure them that you're a God of grace and glory and you withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly and help them not to seek the thing or to seek the person, but help them to seek you and to walk with you to glorify you, knowing that you'll take care of all of their needs. Lord, I pray for people who are sick. We've got people who are battling cancer and things like that. Some people in the aftermath of COVID, things just haven't normalized and they, their strength needs to return. I pray for uh, people like Todd and Melissa Boyd, who both have the flu today. And pray for Michelle, of course, and pray for Chip and people who are going through uh, various treatments and um, we pray Lord for healing and we pray for strength we pray for grace and we pray that you would show us how to minister to them and uh, help us to remember we reap what we sow and if we don't care about people when they go through their trials then it could be nobody will minister to us when we go through ours may we always be attentive to other people and may we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and would you bless us and unify us as a church body. Thank you for our nation that we live in. And thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. But oh Lord, we have fallen so far short of your glory. And we pray that you would restore us. And we pray that you would send a spiritual awakening to our nation. And we pray for the salvation of those who are our elected leaders. And we pray you would change their lives and give them wisdom. And we pray that you would save their family as well. And in the meantime, help us to be salt and light. Help us to be cheerful and, and grateful. Help us to rejoice in the Lord and to give thanks in all things, whether we feel like it or not. And help us, Lord, to remember that you are faithful. And may we be found faithful as well. By your grace and for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and uh, let's turn once again to 1 Thessalonians 5 and we will finish up this wonderful little book. And we're going to talk about today how we should respond to the faithfulness of God. There's a quote from uh, Jen Wilkin that's on there and it says that God's faithfulness to all generations should animate or activate us to faithfulness in this one. After all, we're supposed to be like him, aren't we? And God has been a faithful God all the way back from the beginning of time and even before then, actually. 
And uh, yet it's people that constantly are unfaithful. And sometimes they're God's people, unfortunately. And uh, that ought to be a reminder to us that there but for the grace of God go I. We all say that so glibly, and yet it's so true. We're probably only a step or two away from tragic sin, life-changing sin. And uh, we forget that sometimes. And then the other thing we ought to do when we see other people that are unfaithful, it ought to be a motivator to us to be faithful, not to follow in their footsteps, not to say, if they can do it, I can too, or if they don't have to do it, why should I? That should never be our idea. We should look and say, I want to be a faithful servant of the Most High God. And we uh, get this title because the context of this is just a few verses up. Paul said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And when we see those kind of things, this combats radical selfishness, which is what we are guilty of. We live in a world that cries out all the time, I want community, I want people to love me, I want to be in relationship with other people. And yet then we do everything we can to isolate ourselves. We do everything we can to be self-sufficient. And uh, think about it now. If I am uh, needing directions, I don't need to ask you. Do I? I can Google it. If I need some advice, I don't have to ask my mom or my dad or my grandma or my grandpa or my aunt or my uncle or somebody at the church. I can just Google it. And find all of that out. If I, don't, if I say that I really need to talk to somebody. But I've decided I don't want to talk to you. I can sit right in front of you. It happens all the time at restaurants and waiting rooms. I can be texting somebody some, somewhere else. When there's plenty of people right in front of me to talk to. In other words, the whole thing of the smartphone era. Kind of screams, I don't need anything. I've got myself. And I've got my smartphone. I'm okay the way I am. And then the cry of our hearts, our aching, broken hearts, is for fellowship and relationships. And yet we do everything we can not to have those things. And Paul said, no, I don't want that for you. God has been faithful. And he is faithful to a community of people that he calls his sons and his daughters the church, and we too are to be faithful to him and to be faithful to one another. How can I be faithful? I don't just become faithful by not messing up. Okay, that's a part of it, but it's not the whole thing. It's like um, I've counseled people before. When you got married and you made your vows, you never said, and I promise before God that I'll never have sex with another person besides my spouse. Okay, done. That's not the whole thing. That's part of it, but that's not the whole thing. You also promise to love, to honor, to cherish, to be faithful during good times as well as bad times, right? All of those kind of things that were in there. Well, how many times have you not loved your spouse as you promised? How many times have you not honored them as you promised? How many times have they annoyed you and you didn't cherish them 
as you promised. I mean, there's a lot of ways to, make, to break your marriage vows. It's a whole complete package, a, a lifestyle package, isn't it? And the same thing is true when it comes to faithfulness to God. God did not say, I'll save you if you promise to be faithful on Sunday. That's not even in there. In fact, being faithful on Sunday is just something we should do. And that ought to be the cry of our heart. To be together with the saints of God and to sing God's praises. To pray together and then to be able to... He'll get that fixed just a minute. Pay attention, okay? Some of you are squirrel. Uh, pay attention. Faithfulness is more than just what you do on Sunday. In fact, I'm going to say faithfulness is much more about what you do on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday than it is on Sunday because this is sometimes a habit. This is sometimes a ritual that you go through. There's more to it. What about your mind? And even when you come to church, where does your mind go? Where is your heart while we're doing this? Are you making a grocery list? Are you planning what you're going to do after everything is over? And yet you call yourself faithful and you want the blessings of God? We've got to be more careful than all of this because it entails the way that we live and the way that we think and the way that we relate to God and to other people. That's why I said love God and love your neighbor. Those two things always go together. So that brings us to what we are covering today. And it takes away this radical selfishness and this idea that we can just contain ourselves and take care of ourselves. We really do need one another. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 25 through 28. And this must be important because Paul puts it in as the last thing. This is what they're supposed to remember. It's kind of like when somebody dies and you say, what were their last words? Oh, that's really important. Well, here's Paul's last words to this church in this letter at this time. And he says, verse 25, Brethren, pray for us. Must be important. Must not be an optional thing. Must be important. Verse 26, greet all, and notice that word all, not just your friends, not just the ones you like. Greet all the brethren with a, and you know, we're going to get all hung up. I have to kiss people? That's not the main thrust. The thrust is holy. However you greet them, make sure that it is holy and make sure that people aren't left out. Verse 27. I charge you by the Lord. Ooh, this is heavy. That this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. In other words, he wants his word to be, in, to be taken in, taken seriously, and then spread to others. In verse 28... It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And we are to the point that I think sometimes we go, and uh, okay, okay, okay. And then the grace of the Lord. Oh, okay, got that. I've already got, I'm already under grace. I, I've got the grace part. I've heard enough about grace. You know, can't we talk about something else? And we fly right by it. I hope by the time this is over, you think a little bit differently and a little deeper about all of this. So God is faithful to us. We know that. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God my Father. We sing that and we believe that. And we lean upon that. And we trust the faithfulness of God. We look around at a world that is crumbling all around us. There are so many things in the world today that are evil. That are wicked. That are perverted. And things that just don't make sense. Even when it comes to sin. There are some sins I kind of get. 
There are some sins that I, I see why they do that. I see how that, because I know myself and I know my own depravity. And then there are these sins that are just shocking and scandalous. And you go, I don't even get that. What in the world is that all about? Why are they doing that? And some of them have come up within the last four or five years, seemingly just kind of out of nowhere. But they've been a part of the enemy's plan for a long time. And they were finally given permission to let those things belch out of hell and the smell of sulfur and brimstone is on all of them as we see God removing his restraint upon what the enemy is doing and more and more is coming out. And it's not just in the things like somebody doing a devil worship thing at the Grammys. It's also by the fact that cults and Churches, quote-unquote, that teach false doctrine, they also got Grammy Awards that particular night. And somehow I think God is probably more displeased with the false doctrine that is put out by Elevation Church, and yet they win a Grammy, as he is what Sam Smith did, the group there in the, uh, uh, the Grammys as well. I mean, we've got to look at all of this kind of stuff, and we've got to understand that God is calling not the world to live holy. They're doing what they do. We are to live holy, and we're to be involved in each other's lives, and we're supposed to be doing these particular things because God is faithful. And we're going to see at the very end, God is not asking us to do anything that he isn't doing for his children as well. So the first thing, the Bible says that we are supposed to pray. So that would be point one. If we were to leave it in one word, we would say pray. But I want you to notice here, he doesn't just say pray because our tendency would be to pray about us, to pray about what we need, to pray about what uh, I want. And uh, we're kind of like the disciples that came to Jesus and they said, Lord, we want you to give us anything that we ask for. And uh, that's the way I am. Lord, I'm going to pray so I can get what I want. Okay? And uh, we can have all kinds of things. I want my family to be healthy. I want to have a nice house. I pray you'd provide a job. I pray that you would save my relatives or something. And, and there's nothing wrong, particularly with all of those kind of things, unless we just stop there and we're stuck on making it all about us. Paul didn't say, pray for yourselves. Notice he said, brethren, pray for us, plural. And so the way we do this is by praying for his children. It, it, it takes us out of this thing that it's all about me and all about, I mean, we judge other people. It looks like they have a perfect life. Well, I wish I had their life and they had mine, that type of thing. We don't want to get into that. We want to pray for other people. And so um, I want you to do something. On the next screen are the words to the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version, as most of us memorized it. And uh, I'd like for us to do something. When that comes up, I want you to stand, and I want us just to recite it together. Okay? Let's stand together, and let's just say this prayer, and then I want to make some observations about it. Everybody got it? <clears throat> let's begin. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Father, we pray that since this is supposed to be instructive, the disciples said, teach us to pray. Why do we ignore this? And why do we pray everything except like the way Jesus taught us to pray? Not that we repeat this prayer all the time, but we follow the pattern. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to change. Help us to be more obedient. Help us to think more deeply about all the things that we pray about. And not to be so selfish. And not to be so superficial. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now I want you to notice... When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he started them off with the glory of God. Hallowed be thy name. And then he moves into the agenda of God. Your kingdom come because it is coming. And then even further, this expression of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that happening in your life? How quick are you to do the will of God? Is it happening in your family? Is it happening in our community? Is it happening in our state? Is it happening in our nation? Is it happening in the world? Well, the will of God is being done, but not like it is in heaven. There's so much resistance, so much combativeness. And then there's so much apathy, too. Who cares about the will of God? As long as I get my will done... We're like the disciples. Do what I want. I got saved so that I would have a right relationship with you. And now you can bless me with wealth and health and everything that I want. Power and influence. All of these kind of things. I mean, we make it all about us. Sometimes our prayer list is more like a shopping list than it is anything else. And yet Jesus said you start off with concern for the glory of God and the glory of His name. And then you move into His kingdom purposes, the fulfillment of prophecy, His rule, His reign, His sovereignty. And then you get into the place where you say, and I want the world to be obedient just like the angels are. I want the world that I live in to be obedient without hesitation, without question, not forgetting your will, but to do your will. And that would include us. And we uh, think about these kind of things and we realize that very little of our praying has to do with what's on the heart of God. Very little of our praying has to do with what concerns Him and uh, who He is. It's just about us. And it's like we want all heaven, stop what you're doing and pay attention to me. Quit working and everything else where you're working all around the world and focus in on me. I've got this. And it's amazing how quick and easy we are to do that type of thing. And again, like I said last week, we're a lot like toddlers in that. A toddler doesn't care if they interrupt. A toddler doesn't care if you're doing something else. A toddler doesn't care if you did your best and it's not quite good enough to suit them. It's all about them. And sometimes I think when we come to pray, whenever we do pray, it's all about us. And I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people in the church say, well, if you don't get your prayers answered, what good does it do to pray? When we pray, we are acknowledging God, His existence, His power, His love, 
His mercy, His grace, His sovereignty, all of those kind of things ought to be on our minds far more than anything else. And when they pray in the Bible, this is in both the Old and the New Testament, you find believers saying things like, Lord, you created the stars and the moon. You created everything that is. And you raised Jesus from the dead. Now we've got a problem. And they put everything into perspective. The greatness of God, the power of God, things that he has done in the past, now all of a sudden we come to my problem, my request, my need, And it helps because then I see I've got a big God. And a God who can create the universe out of nothing, well, He can take care of any need that I have. He can take care of any request that I have. And so they started by giving glory to God and looking at Him and all that He had accomplished so that it made their problem, well, it looked small compared to all of that. And that gives glory to God. How much glory do we give to God? The other thing that I would call your attention to, in that model prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, did you notice it doesn't say in there, and give me this day my daily bread. doesn't say that. Forgive me of my sins. doesn't say that. In fact, you'll notice in there those are plurals. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice the community in that. Notice the plural in that. Notice the relationship in that. We're a part of a family, and we're not simply to be concerned about ourselves, but we're to be concerned about other people because we're not doing this alone, and we are not doing this just by ourselves. It's just you and me, God, glorifying God. Some of us need to find a a juniper tree or a broom tree, as the Old Testament says. Say, why do we need to do that? Because Elijah had the same problem we do. He gets underneath that tree and he says, Oh Lord, it's enough, just kill me. And he worked up his pity gland and he's ready to turn in his prophet's badge. I'm the only one left. What's the point in all of this? And you remember God ministered to him, but he also told him, I've got 7,000, buddy, who haven't bowed their knees to Baal. And sometimes we forget we're not the only ones We're not the only one living for God. We're not the only one faithful. We're not the only one reading our Bible. We're not the only one witnessing. We're not the only one praying. We're not the only one giving. I mean, it's not that. God has a body, and he's always had a people, and we are to acknowledge those people. And the first thing says, if God's been faithful to you, then you be faithful to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you get on your knees and you intercede for them because you are not the Lone Ranger, and even he had Tonto, right? And you've got people with you that you don't even know, that you haven't even met yet. And you are to pray for people that are in the body of Christ. How much time do you spend glorifying God and praying for others as opposed to praying for selfish and self-centered things? It'll tell you a lot about yourself because your prayer life is kind of the scoreboard of where you are in your walk with God. Number two, how do I live 
in response to God's faithfulness to me. Number two would be this. With righteous, genuine, and expressive family affection. Now, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Okay? Greet all the brethren with a holy handshake. Greet all the brethren with a holy hug. And the key in there is uh, found in the word greet. That's the command. To greet one another. We are not to ignore one another. We're not to act as though other people don't exist. And that's really what you do. When someone comes to you in the church and they say hi. And you just turn your head and walk on. You're actually saying, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, God didn't make you. And you have no intrinsic value in the body of Christ. You better take that up with God who made them in His image. Be careful how you treat one another, especially fellow believers. And it's a meaning that we acknowledge one another. I'm a part of you, and you are a part of me. Now, accidents happen. There are times when you don't hear, you don't notice somebody else, and it's not because you're ignoring them. It just kind of happens. But I'm talking about the intentional. I have had times in this church where people have spoken to the people on the right of me and on the left of me and then turned their head away when they walked past me. Okay, So don't think I don't know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I know what it's like to feel better and more accepted outside of church than you do in church. And some of you who have been around here for a long time, you remember some of those days. I understand. I get it. I've gotten the nasty emails. I've gotten the snarky comments and different things like that. The letters and the notes that come in the mail. I've gotten those kind of things. And by the way, just to reiterate again, if you have something you want to write to me about and you don't sign your name, it goes right into the trash. Because if you don't think enough of it to put your name on it, I ain't reading it, okay? In fact, I call them notes from nuts. There they go, okay? So why should I take it seriously? But you are to acknowledge one another. You are to value one another. You are to affirm one another as you come to church. You see, folks, sometimes coming to church and you saying a kind word to somebody who seems to have it all together, you may be the only kind word that they have heard all week because you don't really know their life. You look into it and you assume some things, but their life may be hell on earth in their home. And it may be that they come to church and when they come on the church property, they just get breathed deep and they give a sigh of relief because they know they're going to be loved. They know they're going to be accepted. They know they're going to be affirmed. They know they're going to be acknowledged. Boy, all those A's could make a sermon, couldn't it? And that's the way we're supposed to be. Paul says, don't ignore one another. Now, this is a persecuted church. And during their times of persecution, don't forget them. Don't act like they're no big deal. Don't act like, man, I wish on that day that uh, you visited, I wish that the rich oil man had joined instead of you. Don't act like that. Don't act like they're insignificant. They're a gift from God to this particular body of believers. And so this is something that is on the heart of Paul as he uh, concludes this letter. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now it's interesting because this is a gesture of affection that was common in those days. They would kiss each other, usually on the cheek, sometimes on both cheeks, like they do in France, or you've seen Middle Eastern people do this. And it's commanded five times in the New Testament 
in Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and uh, uh, 1 Peter. And so it must be important. But understand, this is more about expressing your awareness of them, acknowledging them, and showing your affection and affirming them more than anything else. In fact, that term holy, I think Paul defines it for Timothy, the young pastor in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Now think about what he says. This is the way we are to think about each other. And if we did, the problem of adultery in the church, gone. The problem of lust in the church, gone. Okay, you'll see why. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Okay? Who lusts after their sister? There's something seriously wrong if you do that, right? Or a mother. And so Paul is saying the way we treat each other, like fathers, like brothers, like mothers, and like sisters. Boy, we just took care of a lot of problems. Because there are a lot of times you will treat other people in the church the way you would never treat your dad. The way you would never treat your mom. The way you would never treat your sister, right? The way you would never treat your brother. This is the kind of thing to where we've got to get it into our minds. That we're a group of weird people. And we're a weird and strange group of people that I'm speaking to. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, probably there are a lot of you that you would never have been friends in high school. Came from different backgrounds. You had different interests. Some of you are athletes. Some of you were popular. Some of you were really good looking. Some of you were very smart. Some of you were just nerds. Some of you were the kind of people that you were poor, you didn't fit in, you weren't on the right side of the tracks, those kind of things. And so in high school, you would have your group that you would hang around, but there were certain groups you didn't really care to hang around. And uh, so you would be all different and, you know, we would expect that in there. And yet somehow God saved you. Rich kids, popular kids, athletic kids, musical kids, nerd kids, strange kids, poor kids. Do you remember that commercial for Armour Hot Dogs? Man, that, was, that is so unwoke that it's not even funny, right? That gets you, get you canceled. That gets you canceled. And yet, you know what? That's the body of Christ. It is. And you know what's funny about it? You love each other. And some of you, there are people that you outside of Christ would never think about hanging around. And now they are precious to you because both of you are in Christ. I mean, this is a strange, strange gathering. And that's why there's not supposed to be any racism in the body of Christ. This is why we're not supposed to have class envy in the body of Christ. This is why we are not supposed to be judging people by the way that they look handsome or pretty or whatever in the body of Christ. This, this is why we don't do that. We've got a different standard and we are to acknowledge and affirm and love and show godly, godly affection to one another because we really are brothers and sisters in Christ. You know that uh, Gaither song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. 
I love the verse in there that said, you may notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Remember that? And it's just great to think about that because this ought to be what it is and this ought to be what everybody, even lost people, sense and feel about us whenever they come in here. Wow, these people love one another. And do you remember we're told in the Scripture that the world will know we're His disciples by the love that we have for one another. How you doing on your love? God has been faithful to love you with an everlasting love. He gave His Son to die for you on the cross out of His great love for you. So why are you not loving everybody with that same love? That's what we are called to do. We all could work on that, couldn't we? Because we're all growing and learning. Number three, Paul says that we respond to the faithfulness of God by intake and sharing of the Scripture. That's what he means when he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Now notice he didn't say, I charge you in the Lord that you greet one another with a holy kiss or that you pray for us. This is the only verse where he says that. It tells us, that he's serious about this, and he's telling us that this is the command that supersedes everything else. It's not that the others aren't important. It's just simply that this is really important. What is he saying? We've got to be centered on the Word of God. If you miss everything else, don't miss the Word of God. And it's in the idea of both reading it and taking it in. It's got to be expressed, and it's got to be obeyed. This is what we are supposed to do with the Word of God. Whether it's in your quiet time, in your personal reading, whether it is somebody preaching to you, or in your Sunday school class, or in a Bible study that you are at, you are supposed to take the Word seriously. You are supposed to ingest it, but you're not only just to ingest it, you are to share it with other people. And uh, when Paul writes these kind of things, people say, oh, you know, did Paul know that he was writing Scripture? I think he did. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 through 17, it says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you concerning the wisdom given him, and he does, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. And all God's people said, Amen. See, even Peter had trouble understanding Paul. Right? So don't feel bad. You got to learn. You got to grow. You're not going to get it all just like that. But that's not my point which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, who resist the temptation, resist the temptation, because there are a lot of people taking the Bible out of context and twisting it for their own means, but we won't talk about that now. You're aware of that. Here's the point. As they do the other, what's that word? Scriptures. You know what Peter just said? 
everything Paul was writing in his letters, even back then in the first century, even somebody like Peter recognized it was Scripture, just like the Old Testament that they all had. Paul's writings were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so they all got it. So you see, it wasn't the early church getting together and go, I like this, I like this, let's put this in the Bible. Nah, don't put that one in. Uh, it was already acknowledged, and these letters that you read and that I read that are in your 66 books of the Bible were already in common usage and common acceptance by the churches. And so those councils were recognizing all of that, but it goes all the way back to the Apostle Peter. You know why Paul wanted this read? Because it was from God. You know why Paul wanted them to take it in and to share it? Because it was the Word of God. It was instruction to them. That's why he said in 1 Thessalonians 4, Therefore, the one who does not receive this is not rejecting man, but rejecting God. And the same is true today about God and His Word. So intake and sharing of the Word of God. How are you doing that? How are you doing in that thing? That's not just the preacher's job. That's for all of us to do. And then number four, how do we respond to the faithfulness of God? And here it is. That thing came up. The grace of God be with you all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yawn. Big deal. Grace of God. Who cares? Okay, well, let's put it this way. Number four would be by constantly remembering we are all in the fellowship of the undeserving. You know what grace is? The undeserved favor and blessing of God expressed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Grace is not just that thing that, and we say it before a meal, and, you know, it's in the Bible a lot, and, you know, grace to you and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, 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 move on to the real stuff. Move on to the practical stuff. Move on to me and what I can do and how I can be a better dad and how I can make more money and how I can have a better marriage and how, you know, that's what we do. And yet grace, every time you see that, it is a reminder that you don't deserve to be here, much less in heaven. Undeserved blessing and favor of God. You're a sinner who has every reason to be in hell right now, except for two words, but God. The one who is rich in mercy made us alive. Read Ephesians chapter 2 sometime and let that just bless you again. Don't go fast over the words like the love of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, and especially the grace of God. This thing, the grace of God be with you all, is a constant reminder we don't belong here. That song I referenced earlier, <clears throat> I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, I heard Alistair Begg, the Scottish preacher. <laughs> he said, truth of the matter is, with all respect to Bill Gaither, he said, if we would stand and sing that song and we would look around and greet each other while we're doing it, he said, we should change the words if we're going to be honest. I'm surprised you're a part. <laughs> right? Because that's the truth. And you know where that starts? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm surprised you're a part.
of the family of God. Because you know you. Now, we play the game when we look at other people's sins. Well, at least I haven't done what they've done, like the Pharisee and the publican in the temple, right? But the truth of the matter is, when God examines your heart, you, you kind of have in your thoughts. You kind of have in your motive. You kind of have in those desires that are kind of dark and ungodly that you're embarrassed by and you would hate for anyone else to see. And when you look at that, it's surprising that we're in the family of God and He has paved the way and He has drawn us and He has paid for our sins on the cross in full and then the Holy Spirit gave us faith to believe and drew us into the family of God and we are secure in here. And so that song says from the, uh, another verse of that song says, from the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing, from rags under riches, from the weak to the strong. Now here it is. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. Right? And that's where we are. That's where we are. So if you're a guest here today, and uh, maybe you come every week with your family and you've never trusted the Lord, and you think this is a gathering of the well-dressed, the ones who have it all together, and the ones who've got their life right, and we come to celebrate our perfections. That's baloney. We come here as the unworthy. We come here as the ones who don't belong uh, if we were left unto ourselves. But by the grace of God, He has made us worthy. And because of His acceptance, we belong in the family of God. And that's what grace reminds us. We are all in the fellowship of the undeserving. John MacArthur says, Grace means that sin is not held against the sinner. Such forgiveness is dependent on a payment of sin's penalty to satisfy holy justice. That requires a substitute, one to die in the sinner's place, God's chosen substitute, the only one who qualified was Jesus. Salvation is always by the same gracious means, whether uh, during the Old Testament or New Testament times. When any sinner comes to God repentant and convinced that he has no power to save himself from the deserved judgment or divine wrath and pleads for mercy, God's promise of forgiveness is granted. And you had nothing to do with it. It was all done for you by the grace of God and through his sovereign grace extended unto you. This is just amazing so we don't step over all of this. And this is how we keep from coming the stereotypical, angry, self-righteous, holier-than-thou church member. That's what people think Christians are. God forbid that it would be that way. We recognize we are here only by the grace of God. And we're surprised that we're a part of the family of God. So in other words, we would sum this up by saying, God is faithful, so just be like Him. Pray for others, like Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus does for us. We're just asking you to be like Jesus. Just be like God. Pray for others like Christ prays for you. Demonstrate and express holy love, just like God did for you. But God demonstrates His love toward us, right? 
Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're asking you to live by the scriptures because Jesus himself said in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how you are to live too. We're asking you to be a grace giver until the Lord comes, regardless of personal cost, because we're reminded in John 5, 13, this is what Christ did. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his own life for his friends. And praise God, that is what he did. So what do we do in response to him? Just be like him. Follow his pattern. Treat each other the way God treats you. And do that for the glory of God and for the well-being of others. And that's the pattern of living until Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns or until you go to him. This is the way you are to live and this is the way you are to die. And why do you do it? Because God has been faithful to you. Be faithful in this generation to the Lord. And it all starts with salvation. Will you trust the Lord today? Will you repent of your sins and put your full trust in what He did on the cross, that He bore the wrath of God in your place? Do you believe that He was raised from the dead? Do you surrender to Him as Master and Lord of your life? The Bible says, call on the Lord like that, and you'll be saved. And then for those of us who are saved, are you living like God doesn't exist? Are you living like God doesn't care? Are you living like you're the master of your faith, the captain of your soul, or however that goes? Are you living in submission to Him and simply imitating Him by doing what a faithful God does and doing that everywhere that you can. May God bless us and may God help us in this matter. Can you say amen to that? Father, we come to you today to say thank you for being so faithful, so good, so kind, so loving, so merciful to us. Blessing after blessing after blessing, mercy after mercy after mercy, grace upon grace, it says in the scripture. It just piles on. And we expect it. We don't even ask for it. We don't even think about it. Oh, Father, forgive us for taking that for granted. And forgive us when we don't give that to other people. But do more than forgive us. Empower us. Awaken us. And change us. So that we will live in response to your faithfulness. By being faithful ourselves. And that's what we all want. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.